If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. All right, I'm excited to introduce yet another fantastic guest on the show today. Her name is Lauren Flannery. Lauren is the Senior Manager of Enablement for the Sales and Success Teams at Whoop. She's based in Austin, Texas, and she and I actually go back a number of years. We're former colleagues. I invited Lauren on for a few different reasons, first of which is her background. She transitioned out of the hospitality industry into SaaS sales. And the way that she did that, I think, is among the best stories I've heard in my career. She actually parlayed her experience in hotel management to then get a job at a company, a SaaS company that sells to hotels and hospitality. Beyond that, she's got some very interesting perspectives into the sales enablement world. She's been able to carve out an amazing career, starting as an SDR and then moving into sales enablement. She has some great insights on current trends, data, and some things in the industry that I think you should be thinking about. Lastly, we talk a little bit about how to empower more women in SaaS sales. Overall, this was an amazing conversation and I can't wait to share it. With that said, welcome Lauren. All right, we are live. Lauren, welcome to the SaaS Sales Players. Hi, thanks, Jesse. Happy to be here. Of course, of course. Thanks for coming on. I'm super excited to share your story because I know a little bit about it. And just for some context for the listeners, Lauren is a former colleague of mine. We work together. And so I know a lot about her. And I wanted her to come on the show because I think she has some really interesting perspectives on the industry, on career paths in the industry. And she is actually in sales enablement. So I wanted to, I've wanted to for a long time have someone come on the show and talk about the role of sales enablement. And the reason for that is because I think sales enablement has some really unique insights into how to, you know, how to get better at things in the industry and what the trends are and some things like that. So I want to start off with tell us a little bit about your background. How did you end up in the tech sales world? Where'd you come from? All that good stuff. Wherever you care to start, take it away. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, a good way to start too, since it uh, kind of explains how you and I know each other, right. um, having worked together not long enough, not nearly long enough, but right? um, okay. maybe again one day soon. I hope so. Um, but yeah, I I actually started out my career working in hotels. So I grew up um, my entire life around a hotel family, everybody working for the most part for Marriott and grew up shadowing and going in whenever I could and doing internships and going to hospitality school. And I kind of thought this is what I'm doing with my life and got out of college, did that for about a year working for Four Seasons 
and had a great experience, but I found myself a year in not knowing why it didn't feel right and not knowing what I wanted to do next, which of course is an awful identity crisis to have in your, in your early (laughs) twenties. And, um, I ended up calling a mentor of mine, um, who was a professor at the hospitality school actually. And one of the first things she told me to do was to list out 10 things that were the most important to me in finding a new career and um, what I wanted also my life around that career to look like. And I remember at the time, I could not think big. I was looking at very small things like, you know, I would love to have weekends off and I would love to not work on holidays, which at the time, those were huge for me. But you know, she, she really challenged me and was like, think about the most ridiculous thing you could think of. What if 10 years from now you were doing really well in this new industry and you could ask for whatever you wanted, what's something that's absolutely ridiculous. And <laughs> the best like, thing, weekends I, off. yeah, we know. <laughs> well, I said to her, I said, I would love to bring my dog to work and oh. out of all things that, that was the one that I was so excited about. And she said, okay, write it down. And I remember saying you're ridiculous I'm not writing that down that's never gonna happen yeah and cut to you know a few months later I was working in a dog-friendly office and being able to work from home every once in a while these things that were so ridiculous to me at the time so I laugh about it now that is a great story and it's a lot of perspective for for me and anyone who's been in the industry for a while because I think I don't even realize how good I have it um yeah I, I, I mean I was in a different industry for a very, very short amount of time before I, you know, for a very short amount of time before I got into tech sales and, you know, those kind of perks and things like that have been around me for a long time, but it is a great perspective that some of the, you know, benefits of being in the tech space are, you know, far beyond what you could even imagine in another career field, like being Mm -hmm. able to bring your dog to work or work from home or, you know, make a certain amount of money or whatever that like perk is or that benefit is. So that is a really great story. Uh, so you wrote that down. Yeah. And then what happened? Yeah. How did you take action on, you know, the, the, the goal of bringing your dog to work? Yeah. Well, and again, like it, it's something that it, we can laugh at and it, it's funny, but at the, again, at the time it was so important to me like and there's certain things like yeah. that. Yeah. So far-fetched. And it's it, interesting too, to have the contrast where I talk to my family that's still in the hotel industry. And there are things that are just different to them and that are more important to them. And you know, they don't want to take their dogs to work. It's very, a very different experience. So I think it's also just about knowing, you know, it's not that one thing is better than the other. It's, it's what's right yeah. for you. And as we yeah. continued our conversations and I realized I wanted to get into tech and I wanted to get into sales, um, I really got my first lesson in prospecting in kind of interviewing and, and selling what I could bring to a company. Um, when I was going through the interview process, I applied to I think the grand total came out to 52 jobs at different no companies way. 52? And I, 52 and I heard back from one and it was you at Medallia really wow yeah. and oh. I took a hard look at what the difference was and again my that was my very first lesson and, and didn't really know it at the time yeah where every one of those 51 that I had applied to I was just talking about myself or sending my resume, didn't know anything about the company, didn't really understand the role, which it is also hard when you're outside of the tech industry to understand the language and the lingo and what the role might be. But I I didn't do any of that work. And with 
Medallia, I had used the product. I was really passionate about it. And I, I, that was very clear in the conversations and even just in that initial application, I was talking more about the role and the company yeah. than about myself. That is so cool. So I realize, and I think I told you this off the air that I, I talk about your story a lot, like all the time. Uh, I have quite a few people that listen to the show, reach out and say, how do I even get started getting into tech? What there's so many tech companies there's so many like categories within SaaS. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know how to build the skills. I don't know this or that. And I usually reference, you know, your story, which is why don't, is there any SaaS companies that you've ever used in in another role? And and if you're coming from, you know, hospitality or banking or something, uh, you've probably used some piece of SaaS. You've probably used SaaS if you even worked in a coffee shop because you might be using, you know, like Square or something or some mm-hmm. other payment processing system. If you worked in legal, you probably use this. So like start there, start there and figure yeah. out if you have some natural interest and background. I think that's really, I, that's a really cool way to leverage the fact that you'd use the platform. What I recall from the conversations uh, when you were coming in at Medallia was, it really stood out that you had used the platform, you understood how it worked and you understood how it added value. And that was mm-hmm. clearly communicated. And I think it's really cool that you, you know, you picked up on the fact that like, oh, if I just talk about what I know and how mm-hmm. I can, you know, contribute to the fact, it's such a great story. It's such a great story, which is I can come in and, and speak from firsthand experience that I know this platform's great and here's how it can be used for practical problems, right? So uh, that's so awesome. I, I, I talk about it all the time to people. I say, you know, just what, what do you know? What do you know about that you can, yeah. and what have you used? And I was just recently talking to someone who's like, well, I, I know a lot about Shopify. I use Shopify. Cool. Go and see if there's opportunities at Shopify, you know, start there and start mm-hmm. networking there. So I think the way that you went about that is, is really amazing. And I want to ask, so did that, I, I imagine it continued to pay off for you. We didn't work together very long at Medallia, but did that story resonate with people you talked to on the prospect and customer side that, you know, Hey, I used to use this. You should talk to me because I used to use this and I can tell you how we used it. Did, did that work? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, it's so interesting too, because I, I feel like there are two camps where some people really don't mind. They could go in and sell any product or, you know, they, they don't need to be working for a company that fits their interests. For me, that's always been really important. And I think to your kind of question and, and thought around how do you break into the tech industry? I think it's knowing what those things are about yourself. Like I always knew, okay, if I leave the hotel industry, I want to be selling something that I know and I've used and I'm passionate about and I care about. And yet I applied to 51 jobs that probably had nothing to do with anything that I cared about at all. And it's something that I tell tell people now, even that are trying, still trying to get into the tech industry what are you passionate about? What do you care about? What are your hobbies? Because they're, like you said, there is a SaaS company for everything nowadays. And if you are the friend of mine that won't shut up about dogs and is so passionate (laughs) about dogs, you know, there's companies for that and there's software for vets and there's, you know, so many different opportunities. And I think we're just engineered to kind of think we have to fit into the role or the company and they're interviewing us and we have to fit into what they want versus how do I kind of qualify right. them too and, and find what's the right fit for me? Right. Were you pretty close to just giving up? I mean, 50, you said it was 52, 51, 50 plus, let's just say 50 yeah, plus, yeah. you know, applications and finally hearing back after that many, were you pretty close to just saying maybe I ought to just stick in the hotel industry? 
<laughs> yes and no. Um, I was definitely exhausted and there were many times when I wanted to just throw my hands up in the air and say, this is never going to happen for me. Um, I think also because it's kind of like prospecting, like I said, it's it, because I was just doing this high volume effort to get anything out there, cranking out my resume, cranking out applications that meant absolutely nothing to me. That's exhausting to do versus yeah. the time that I spent on the medallia application was so much more because I was interested in it and it was exciting right. and it was fun for me. And those were kind of the moments that I realized, okay, that's, that's where I need to, you know, if this doesn't work out with medallia, that's what I need to shoot for again. And, you know, that's going to be a lot of work, but it'll be worth it because it's somewhere that I'll stay longer um, and not just be hopping around. I've never really heard that said out loud before, but what I know, this is what I do personally. And, and I'll share that when I'm really interested in a company, I put a ton of work into the interview. I treat yeah. it like a full-time job, which is hard if you already have a full-time job and you're pursuing something. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I will literally treat it like a full-time job. I once spent- you get obsessed, yeah. Yeah, I once spent like, I think probably like 30 hours in a week putting together a presentation Jeez. for like a demo- it was like the demo stage of the interview where they wanted me to demo the product and present on it. And I put so much work into understanding <laughs> as much as I could. And like the product yeah. was behind a, you know, it was behind a paywall. I couldn't do a trial of it. It was, you know, an enterprise product, but I went and read like reviews on Captera and trust radius and G2 crowd and figured out what people were saying about it. I took screenshots from their website to be able to show it in a PowerPoint. So I, mm -hmm. I do the same thing when I interview for roles. Once I know I'm interested in working for a company, I, I pretty much put a good amount of eggs in that basket. Now I diversify a little bit, but I really do put a ton of time into preparing for those interviews. So I think that's really great advice you just gave, which is once you've latched on to that company that you think is going to be the one that's going to help you take off. And in your case, it absolutely has. Um, how do you, you know, then put the right amount of investment into it in terms of time and preparation yeah. for each of those steps? It's just like sales though, too, which is really cool because you can apply that same methodology to closing deals. When you put a bunch of uh, effort into researching a prospect, preparing resources, getting ahead of every step of the process and like coming in with your a game, you're going to close more deals that way too. So it's, it, it's, it's uh complimentary. They're complimentary like skill sets. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it's cool that you called that out. Cause I've never really heard anyone else say that before that that's the amount of effort they put into it. Yeah. And I like the way that you talked about, I mean, you, you obviously know yourself very well too, to say, Hey, when I'm going through that, this is the amount of hours that I spend and I get obsessed with it. And that, that was actually one of the things that, um, my professor, Lydia, some of the advice that she gave me when we were going through this whole process together was to start noticing your, almost your tells of what gives you energy, what you're passionate about. And I think it's so important overall to have a mentor that knows you very well and can call you out and be very honest with you. And she, one of the first things she told me was, you know, one of your tells when you are very excited about something, you talk really fast and it wasn't, you know, feedback or criticism, like, Hey, slow yourself down. It was, Hey, start paying attention to yeah. when, you know, whether it's a company or even in your current role, it's something I still do to this day. When I get off a meeting and I realize, wow, I was just firing through that information. I was so excited. I was talking so fast. I start to pay attention to those things and can kind of see where my passions gravitate towards or where my strengths are because of that. So I think it's really key to know what yeah. those, you know, what those tells are, what you get really obsessed and excited about. 
Yeah, that's that's great. A little, yeah, just a flag or a, an indicator, a leading indicator of what might be yeah. uh, interesting. So tell us about what, you know, you came into a role at Medallia. What were you doing? And mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about what you've done since then uh, in terms of what you did at Medallia. And then, you know, I know you're you're not there anymore, but you've, you're working on mm-hmm. something different. Uh, give us an idea of what kind of work you're, you've done and what you're doing now. Yeah, so I, I came into Medallia as an SDR. Um, and I was, I was very clear when I came in, I probably said to you and several others, you know, I loved, um, management and leadership in my hotel experience. And I would love to grow in some sort of leadership track with, um, this SDR role one day and ended up getting an opportunity to be a team lead and then ultimately an SDR manager. And I think being on that leadership team, the time that I was an SDR manager was really transformative for me. Um, again, to know what was important to me, what was giving me energy and what I was really passionate about. And um, I started noticing that I enjoyed certain components of leadership and it was all gravitating towards enablement. So when I started seeing that, um, again, I think it's it's so important to have that self-awareness and I think it's really undervalued from a career perspective. Um, Everybody talks about self-awareness outside of work, but having self-awareness to know hey, I really care about certain components of this role right now. And that's not to say I'm going to neglect other components, but you know, what is that telling me? And I remember yeah. I talked to um, a, an old colleague of mine who was a mentor at Four Seasons, actually, and she was in learning and development. And I talked to her once I came over to sales enablement. And I said, how crazy is this? You know, I'm now in the same type of world as you and who would have ever thought? Yeah. And she kind of said to me, she was like, well, yeah, it was kind of obvious. You always gravitated towards this sort of stuff, even oh, when you weren't awesome. in tech sales. Yeah. So it was really cool to kind of then reflect on everything that was leading up to, okay, I've, I've always been gravitating towards this. And uh, again, it was kind of important for me to say, okay, I do want to pay attention to what those things are that I do really care about and I'm passionate about from now on. And um, yeah. at the same time, I saw certain things that needed to be done for enablement for the team that I was working with as a manager and just started filling some of those gaps. Um, and I think that's, that's the way that I've seen a lot of my peers promoted to is just seeing a challenge, seeing a gap, filling it, starting to take on that role. And then, you know, sometimes if you're lucky, the role will be created for you and, and you'll Ooh, move yeah. on to that team. And uh, that's what I was fortunate enough to, to have happen to me and how I got into enablement. Um, so I spent some time, uh, in enablement at Medallia before coming over to my current role. Yeah. And I, again, so I mentioned kind of on the preface of the episode that I've never, I don't think I've ever had a sales enablement, you know, professional or leader on my show yet. So I have a lot of questions yeah. <laughs> and to be completely transparent in the big scheme of things, I'm relatively new to sales enablement because I've mostly worked for pretty early stage startups Mm-hmm. With the exception of Medallia, and of course where I'm at now, um, I you know I haven't worked a lot with sales enablement. So now that I am in a role where we do have sales enablement, uh, I see the value. I see that you know there's there's trends, there's uh, you know there's there's tactics and 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 strategies as well, and some different things that you have insights into that you can dedicate you know full time to because you're not carrying a quota, and that's the world mm-hmm. I've lived in for the last however many years is. I didn't get a lot of enablement because in an early startup, when you're a rep, you you know you might have a VP of sales or a manager over you. That person's also carrying a number and putting out you know ten thousand fires mm-hmm. as part of their role. 
And unfortunately, sales enablement goes by the wayside because a lot yeah. of people will say, well, hold on, you know, Jesse, we've got to first get consistent, predictable revenue. Then we'll invest in a sales enablement leader to come in and help us fine tune everything. And that was, that's really the reality I've lived most of my career in. So I'm happy now to be in a role where I have that, you know, we have that investment. Um, I'm able to, you know, benefit from that as a seller and get that access. But uh, the question I had for you is, how can I, as a you know rep who's new to working with sales enablement, or even if I was a rep that had worked with sales enablement my whole career, what are some best practices for how I can take advantage of that resource? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think there's it's an interesting time too. There's such a wide scope to enablement these days. Um, so first, I would say ask your enablement team, be honest with them. Like I, I kind of view myself as a translator of sorts. Um, oh, I like but, that. Yeah, yeah, no, but I, I think any enablement professional would. So I think asking them and just having honest com conversations with them and asking the question that you did is a great start. But from my perspective, I think um, the biggest pitfall is to diminish it just down to training. Like there's just this umbrella term yes. that sales enablement is training, right? Yeah. And I think that really hinders what you can do together, what you can accomplish. And I think the best way to translate what you need to sales enablement is to start backwards. So instead of starting with the training topic, like a lot mm -hmm. of people will come and say, this is a topic I want to cover. Start with the outcome or what you want to accomplish in your terms, right? So a great example of this that I, I love to use is if you're thinking, hey, Lauren, um, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to enablement and ask for cold call training. The first question yeah. that I'm going to ask you is why, right? Because that could be everything from how to teach SDRs to use the sales tools and get the right phone numbers to how to conduct research to what time do you call people? Um, right. Are we calling the right people? And then getting into the meat of an opening, handling certain objections, closing on the phone. There's so many different components that if you come to me and say cold call training, I'm yeah. going to think all of that, right? Versus <laughs> right, if you right. come to, yeah, if you come to me and you say, hey, Lauren, um, you know, my SDRs are getting the right phone numbers, clearly, they're getting people on the phone, um, they have the right messaging in terms of getting past the opener and handling certain objections, and they're actually closing and booking meetings, but those meetings keep getting rescheduled or pushed or ghosted um, or canceled. Yeah, that very is a very different. different conversation, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, so I think it just it, that shows the importance of of flipping topic to outcome. Otherwise, our expectations are way off of each other, right? Because you're going to come back to me and say, Lauren, uh, I asked for a cold call training, and the, none of those meetings are holding still. So what was the whole point of that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. That's 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 deep, and <laughs> I do agree that like. A lot of us as sellers, we're used to flying at 30,000 feet. We're not used mm -hmm. to coming down and breaking things out into, like, like you're saying, breaking things out into buckets or segmenting different aspects of that process, right? Mm -hmm. We just think of things as cold calling, cold calling, cold call training. It's a thing, right? It's not all these different aspects of it. There's not these different outcomes from it. And there's not that much that goes into it. At least that's what we think, right? But so it's cool to hear- yeah that the perspective of enablement is more around the specialization and getting very granular on how to drive the results that you're looking for from, you know, whatever inputs are, are required to do that. Very cool. Yeah. 
And I think if you're if you're not at that point where you can break down exactly which point we're seeing the gap in, again, just lean on what outcome you're trying to drive. Talk in your numbers and your metrics rather than the topic, because I think that's where the disconnect can be sometimes. Again, is if you're coming with, hey, can we have an enablement session on cold calling? You're just going to see a completely different result than if you said, hey, I don't know exactly what we need to fix it right now, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. Um, and, and that's where exactly, here's where we can come in and help and figure out what the right training will be and what the right topics will be to, to um, drive the right change there. Very cool. Do you work like in, in the work you've done as a sales enablement leader, have you typically worked with reps individually or has it more been team-wide initiatives? All of the above. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I, I love, um, one-on-one coaching and conversations and shadowing. I, that's going back to the things that give me energy and that I'm passionate about. Um, I think especially in a position I'm in now and that I was in, um, at Medallia and enablement being an individual contributor role. Um, I know that I've loved some of those leadership aspects of mentoring. And so, um, I do love that from that perspective, but then also I feel like that just gives you, it equips you with so much knowledge, being able to sit down with individual sellers on their calls and just learn what their day-to-day is. Um, and and not just sellers that, you know, across the board, working with SDRs and CSMs and, um, really understanding what's important to them and what their pain points are day-to-day. That brings up a really good point. Does sales enablement typically extend beyond, it sounds like it extends beyond just reps and SDRs. It goes into, I imagine, pre-sales and Mm post-sales type type roles as well. How about marketing? Do you, in your roles, have you done a lot to work with marketing? Tell us a little bit about that part of it. Yeah, it's definitely evolving. Uh, When I, even just a few years ago, I mean, I haven't been doing sales enablement for too long. And when I first started, I feel like it was very focused on the SDR and AE role. And now it's really expanding into um, post-sales. So a lot of the customer success enablement is a huge topic right now, Um, huge specialization. And um, I've even been getting into more of our CX and support teams. So really expanding into some other areas that we haven't uh, done before. That's, yeah, that's really cool to hear. And I think from, from the time I started my SaaS career until now, the emphasis on growing existing customers has changed completely. When I started in, in SaaS, you know, I guess almost 10 years ago, 10 years ago now, uh, it was all about net new logos, selling to net new people, new mm-hmm. prospects. And over the course of, especially in the last five years, the emphasis has really gone from heavy, you know, we want hunter, hunter mentality, 80% mm-hmm. outbound, et cetera, to now, well, you can actually grow your existing relationships. So I think it's kind of cool to hear that you're also enabling the post-sales side of things, because once the sale is done, that's really when more selling can be enabled and more revenue can be generated from an existing customer who's already installed and just needs to grow their footprint with your with your software. So that's cool to hear. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's just so much to learn from your customer base too, that I, I think, like you said, there's an increased focus on that from you know every side, including enablement, that we also selfishly want that wealth of knowledge that they have from being on the customer <laughs> yeah. side. Um, I think people are just seeing so much more value in that now, which is fantastic. Um, they're some of the best teams to work with too. So in your role, do you work with current customers to try to better understand 
pain points, what resonated, or is that a different function than sales enablement? I don't personally. So typically that's, um, at least from who I've worked with is more product marketing and then our, um, customer, some of our customer facing teams. Um, I, it is something I'm interested to see if the enablement world as it's evolving, I think going from the scope of SDR AE into more of these customer facing roles. Um, it, it has stayed internal to my knowledge. I don't know if anybody is starting to expand into customer enablement. It's something that I've actually right. been thinking about and keeping track uh, to see if, if anybody's starting to get into that. I could imagine that's maybe the next wave of enablement. Oh, cool. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. I think now too, just I'm going to share my what's going on inside my brain these days. It's just with <laughs> the, the, the world's going through a big change, obviously all kinds of different changes, I, I should say. And, you know, I won't get into all the macroeconomic stuff and world global affairs stuff, but, you know, specifically speaking to like the tech industry, we're obviously seeing a big shift in how things have been over the last 10 years, right? I mean, mm -hmm. SaaS and, and tech have really grown and scaled a lot since the last great recession. And now we're heading into some economic slowdowns. And I think a lot of companies are going to be trying to figure out how they can optimize things, how they can make each of their, you know, resources more productive, more efficient, deliver bigger results with, with essentially less. Right. So I think it's cool because I think you're going to have a front row seat to a lot of that, which is like, okay, if I'm trying to understand how to make the sales reps better, get the messaging better, use marketing to help, you know, convey the brand better in, in the sales motions and engagements, but then also understanding the customer's point of view, what works, what really, you know, what's the crux of the problem that we solve. I think those are really, I think they're going to continue to be really important insights for a tech company in 2022 and beyond, right? Because yeah. they are going to have to figure out how to get tighter on everything. Um, mm -hmm. so I think it's really cool. I think you're going to like, I, I, so I'm very long on the sales enablement role in all of this, which is being able to be a liaison between all these different things and, you know, helping to, to provide the, the resources that sellers need to continue to be successful, even if there's less buyers out there, um, or it's, you know, harder mm -hmm. to get approvals and things like that because of the way the, the macroeconomic is. So very cool question for you. What, what do you say to someone who says, uh, you know, those who can't do teach, and I hate to use that because it's super negative, but uh, maybe someone has said that to you at some point in your career, um, yeah. in, in enablement, that is, you know, your career in enablement, like, Hey, you're doing that. You shouldn't, you just go into a rep role and carry a quota. Cause <laughs> obviously those who can't do teach, um, that's part one of the question. Like, has anyone ever said that to you? And what do you, how do you respond to that? And then part two is just, how do you stay fresh? with the actual art of selling or the skill set of selling when you're no longer carrying a quota and working with prospects to close deals every day. Yeah, no, that's, that's hilarious. Nobody's it, ever actually said that good. to me. I feel okay, like it's something good. that I've, I've always been like, I'm ready for it. Like it's going to come <laughs> one day. Um, so you're the first, thank you. Um, and I ask it hypothetically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. actually one thing you said earlier, I, I never really considered it. It's so obvious, but you know, like you said, I come into this with no quota and of course a lot of other responsibilities, but like an inability to come in and be an outside perspective almost sometimes, which I feel like there's a lot of value in that and, and something I've been thinking about since you said that a little bit ago. 
Um, but I've also, since I've been in enablement, have come to appreciate the specialty of it. Um, I think it, it's just so interesting to me. There are people that study for, you know, years and years, the science and research behind adult learning and, mm-hmm. um, you know, so many components that, again, from stepping out of the SDR and SDR leadership role and moving over to enablement, I remember having a little bit of a perspective of, oh, well, you know, when I was at Medallia, well, I did the SDR role. I did the SDR manager role. So I am very comfortable with training on those things because I felt like such an expert. And I think, you know, like anything else, when you're starting a new job and coming over to my current role in Whoop, yeah, everybody's going to have imposter syndrome right at first and be like, all right, well, I, you know, I haven't done that here. So what does that mean for me now? And, and I think leaning on the specialty of, um, just like I, I described how to kind of translate what you need to sales enablement and um, being able to be, again, that translator and being able to deliver things in a way that are going to help people apply things to their day-to-day and change behavior and um, right. almost viewing enablement, again, not just as training, but as change management, I think is is really key to be able to understand that it's it's just a completely different specialty than anything yeah. else. And I think it's also, you have to have the humility to say, I don't know everything. And like you said, stay fresh. And um, I am obsessed with, and and I think all enablement folks are obsessed with continued education, rightly so. Like that's that's kind of the field we're in, but I love listening to podcasts and following people on LinkedIn and reading and going to webinars and constantly learning different best practices. And I think, um, you know, that it's so important for not only for sales enablement, but for anybody in a sales role. Um, I feel like the best way to learn is to collaborate with each other, especially with sales, right? right? Like there's no prospecting Bible. There's no right way to do everything a hundred percent of the time. It's all about experimenting and trying different things. And, um, I, I think between collaborating and then even just like feeling the other side of it sometimes, like I found the best way to learn and, and, um, you know, kind of stay fresh in terms of what's great specific to prospecting, for example, is to notice how I feel in my reaction when somebody's prospecting into me for an enablement tool, for example, um, and paying attention to things like that. I, I feel right. like on top of research and continued education for myself is, is really important. That's a good point. You're cause, cause yeah, you, you can continue to do education network, listen to podcasts, but you're also you know, you can also look at some practical things and, and for example, a prospecting email and say, you know, how does this stand against what we're doing here? Is, is this an email that I would want to receive if, mm-hmm. if it were one of our reps sending this out? Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of ways I, I totally agree. And, and yeah, again, that question was more coming from like a devil's advocate standpoint. because <laughs> I don't want to say I've ever heard anybody actually say that, but I'm sure it's, it's a thought that pops into people's head when they're like, Oh, that person decided to go down a sales enablement career path. Um, maybe, they, you know, maybe they didn't want to stay on the course of being a, a field sales AE or strategic AE or whatever the, you know, long-term vice president of sales goal is. Right. Um, but I think also to, to latch on to something you said too about quotas, I think quotas can be, I'm not advocating getting rid of quotas. I carry one and have carried one for practically the entirety of my career. Right. But I do think that it's sometimes hard to focus on like sharpening the tools 
when everything always ultimately you know every everything is always ultimately comes it ultimately comes down to like how well you do against your quota yeah um, and, and so every can, minute is really important right. to focus on that right and and again i think that's something that it's important from the enablement side to recognize that and go okay if that's what i'm fighting against it it is a specialty right like how do i how do i fight against that effectively and make sure that I'm delivering something that is impactful long-term, but that's also going to make someone feel like, okay, this is going to help me right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, this, this is really interesting. And I, I'm a big, again, a big believer. I think that it's a great investment that a, a company makes in, in this role, because again, you don't have that foggy vision from a quota. You're not solely focused on that. So you can kind of stop and be more strategic about everything versus just constantly, you know, running against a, a revenue number. What would you say to, uh, like a, an early stage startup founder, uh, or sales leader who feels like they don't need sales enablement because they're too small, too early. Yeah. I think a lot of that goes back to what I said before in terms of thinking about sales enablement or, you know, revenue enablement as, training and certain topics versus outcomes you're trying to drive. Um, I think enablement these days has such a key role in, you know, delivering outcomes for products that you're releasing or updating or process. And, and all of that is in addition to skill development and professional development and leadership training and all of those other right. great things that enablement can do. Um, and I, I think Whoop is actually a great example, and it's actually what attracted me to this role in the first place. Is you know it was a new enterprise side of this business, and they were growing the sales team, and initially saw we need to invest in enablement, and that was one of the most important things to me that they weren't waiting to bring it on later when they realized, oh hey, now we need enablement. Um, I think a lot of people are, are recognizing that more now, but I think it still is an issue where they don't realize like, you know, if, if we are experiencing hyper growth and we are an early stage company, we're going to have a lot of product updates. We're going to have a lot of process right. improvements left and right, you know, every single week, if not more often than that. Um, and you need an enablement partner to, to do those things. And again, it goes back to driving change management and yeah. being really effective with how you roll things out to a team and, and being intentional about it. Um, and that's something, again, I really appreciate about my experience here is that they saw that investment early and that the stakeholders here recognize um, it's yeah. a lot more than just, you know, hey, we need a cold call training and it's just about the topic versus, hey, we need to drive towards certain outcomes and um, drive change management. I'm curious, is there like a sweet spot in a, in a SaaS growth curve from your experience so far? Is there a, a sweet spot when, actually, better question. Is there a point in a SaaS growth curve where you're too late if you don't have a sales enablement person coming in? Like, is that when the team reaches like 300 people, you're already, you're behind the curve? Have you, maybe you've never even given any thought to this question. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just insane. No, no, I love that question. Yes. I think that's <laughs> a phenomenal question because I, I don't think it's about the amount of people. I think it's about where you're at. And if you are True. really accelerating with a new product and, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot that goes along with that in terms of updates and releases and changes and 
you still have a lot of work to do. I, I think, again, like the misconception could be, hey, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of putting processes in place and getting the foundation here and building the team. I think that's when you need enablement is before right. you do all of that, right? And to be a partner to all of those people that are laying the foundation for a team versus any time after that, regardless of the amount of people that you you have I, there already. I think that's a really good point. I think so much of SaaS, especially over the last decade, and as I said earlier, I think things are changing in the industry. I think we're going to see a lot yeah. of change, especially over like the next 18 to 24 months. So mark my words and we'll, <laughs> we'll talk again in 24 months. But what I what I think the the like MO has been, it's been very reactive, right? Grow the yeah. SaaS company at all costs, mm -hmm. raise as much funding as you can, get deals done however you can get deals done. And the strategy and the, you know, the like intentional aspects of business will just come later. Right. And, and I we'll figure out what we need. Yeah. Right. We'll figure it out as we go. That's, you know, move fast and break things. Um, that's a very common mantra in the tech business. I remember just to anecdote on this is, and I'm not going to name his name, but there was a founder I worked for <laughs> that felt like it was too early to bring marketing in. I was like, what are you talking about? How are we supposed <laughs> to generate demand if there's not oh a marketing gosh. team? And I've worked for a handful of founders that just were, you know, it was either too early for this, too early for that, too early for marketing, too early for sales. And I, I never understood the logic, but the logic is just that it's, well, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we need to. And yeah. I'm thinking, and those are the people the... you want on your side, right? You want right. marketing on your side. You want sales enablement on your side. You want those people that are, you know, are going to know those areas better than anybody else. Right. So I could see a scenario where in the future, again, the next, not even just the next 18 to 24 months, the, the model in SaaS changing in the, from here going forward, because maybe founders and business leaders in, in tech start to think, why don't we just hire one or two sales enablement people first? They can assess our, mm -hmm. you know, product market yeah. fit. And they can determine the messaging, you know, by working with our marketing team and marketing resources, and they can, you know, massage that messaging until it's sales friendly and it can be put into outreach sequences and, and turned into, you know, decks and things like that, that are going to be needed. And why not invest in that first before, you know, investing in the actual reps. But I know the model right now is for, especially for early startups, it's hire two reps and get them selling somehow with no resources just by the, you know, I don't know, by, by whatever like means they have to get a deal done, just, I don't know, email against a, a spreadsheet full of, of email addresses or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and trust me, I've been in that seat. So I know exactly what that is. Um, but I could see a world where the, you know, the first line of defense is bring in sales enablement pros to build the foundation yeah. and then go and hire, you know, your two to four AEs and your four to eight SDRs and then scale from there. Because once you have the foundation built, it's gonna be a lot easier to build the house on top of that. Right. So mm -hmm. I hope so. I hope that's the way that it goes. I think that'd be really interesting. Me too. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, so much has changed already since I started in enablement, but even since I started in, in tech in general, I feel like it's so different already. Yeah, it, it really has. And and I think the the biggest changes are, are coming in the next couple of years because everything's going to be completely different. There's just not as much capital as there has been available and probably won't be for a while. And that old model of move fast and break things, grow at all costs, figure it out as we go is probably not going to fly anymore mm -hmm. in, in the, yeah. you know, the future. That's, that's what I think anyway. 
It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, so you're, you're obviously looking at trends. You're looking at the, the industry, the sales, you know, culture, cause it's a whole culture too. Tell us about some of the things out there that you're seeing that are like faux pas or, uh, you know, not like just not professional or, you know, some tactics that might be ready to be retired. Tell us about some of those that you've seen recently. That is an interesting question. Um, Faux pas. I feel like I don't see many faux pas because they probably go right to my spam. Uh, (laughs) But I do. Every once in a while, I actually do check my spam uh, folder in my inbox to see what's coming in there. And there is so much that is getting filtered out now. So um, if you're, you know, a, a seller, an SDR, anybody that's reaching out and you're sending uh, high volume, very generic things out, it's probably going straight to spam if you're not seeing opens. Um, so yeah. I, I think that's a lot more so than I've seen before. Filters are getting better. Um, I think on the flip side, like there's so much research into what works. And again, like I said before, mm-hmm. There's no prospecting Bible. There's no sales Bible. There's nothing that's going to work for you 100% of the time. I think it's about experimenting and trying different things. And even when you and I spoke the other day, just collaborating with people is huge because there are so many tactics now that you can honestly forget about something. And you mentioned something about reaching out to procurement teams that I remember running several campaigns to procurement back with my SDR team when I was a manager and yeah. it being so effective. And when you said that the last time we spoke, I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Why am I not doing that again and <laughs> sharing that with everybody? So I think there's just, again, there's just so much out there that you can do and try that nothing's going to work hundred percent of the time. Also, nothing is never going to work, you know? So yeah. I think getting really obsessed with understanding the trends and learning and following people on LinkedIn that are going to share those things and listening to podcasts and asking your friends and your coworkers and everything. I think that's a really great way to learn. And then also feeling what it's like on the other side and digging in a little bit more to what I mentioned earlier, Yeah, feeling the other side of it. I think one of the best ways that you could learn if you're a seller and you want to know like what it feels like to receive a prospecting email whether you're getting them or you can find people at your company that are getting prospected into or having even those later stage conversations and getting feedback from them. I think there is so much that is missed in that. It's actually something that our sales development leader and, and myself do all the time now. It's become like an obsession. It's, it's pretty fun. <laughs> like it started out as us. We just yeah. were forwarding emails to each other that we were getting. So for myself, like, okay, here's, here are different enablement tools and for himself things for sales development. And we started sending them back and forth, but then we started almost getting obsessed with, okay, they sent you this email at this time and they sent me this one at this time and here's how they changed it. And then they called you oh, and then they wow. sent me this message on LinkedIn and it got really interesting. And it's become this regular discussion that we have now with the team of not only, you know, what the cadence looks like, but um, how it makes us feel. And and I think that that's something that has been really transformative is having conversations about, okay, when they said this to me on the phone, or when they sent me this in an email, this is how it felt for me to receive this and to read it. And here's what I would change, but then also flipping it on 
on them and saying, okay, yeah. how would you change this to be more relevant to me? And I, I feel like that really helps reframe it for people to, or from selling a product into here's how you talk about value. And also just, even if you throw all of that aside, here's how you just make that human connection. And I, I think it's so obvious sometimes, right? Like talking about them yeah. and not yourself. And it goes out the window when you need to hit your quota or you need to hit a certain activity metric or, you know, you're just focused on so many other things that you forget something that's so human to like make those connections. Um, and it's something that I've seen just even again, like reminding people to do, do things like that can really yeah. make a difference. And and to have those discussions about like, hey, I feel entirely different when you change a little bit of language here. Can I say that is so awesome? I, I've, for years, I've had sales leaders, founders, CEOs of the companies I've worked at forward on you know bad prospecting emails or a good prospecting email. Yeah. But I can't say that I've ever heard of anyone going like I didn't realize enablement, or at least in your case, I don't know if all enablement reps are and, and leaders are doing this, but you're like going through and looking at what time they sent and what channel. Yeah. And comparing it to others on your team, that is super cool. Someone should productize that somehow <laughs> and turn it into like a sales analytics tool because I, I, that seems very interesting is, you know, did this email, maybe the messaging was fine, but maybe because you sent it at midnight my time, I now think mm -hmm. you're an asshole, right? Like, there's yeah. probably some element to that. Yeah. Or, you know, you sent it to me five times on email, I didn't reply because it's not interesting. And then you, you bomb my in box or I don't know, you direct text me or something, whatever the channel is. Yeah. I think that like time of day channel to also, what did you say to my team versus what did you say to me? Like, I don't yeah. think anybody's, I've never heard of anybody tracking that or looking into that further, but I would definitely read a research paper on that topic and see, you know, what trends are out there. Maybe it already exists, but that is super cool. Well, and I, even to get more crazy here. I even said, I think it would be really cool as an SDR or AE that's prospecting into a company to start to pay attention to, okay, these people comment on each other's posts or they're, right. you know, connected from a previous company. They're clearly, they work together closely or they seem like they're friends or they followed each other from company to company. I know they're going to talk to each other. Right. And yeah. when I think about that scenario with the SDR leader here and myself, like, we never work together. Like people from the outside might not know that, but if you can gather some sort of information, like, oh, these people know each other, or, you know, they might be in the same office or sit next to each other. And I want to incite some sort of conversation about myself and my company and my outreach here. I think that would be incredible to intentionally do something like that to get people talking. That's super cool. Yeah. That would be so interesting. All of that stuff affects, you know, it really does. It affects the successfulness of a campaign and the effectiveness of, of an outreach sequence. So, man, we should productize this. Yeah. <laughs> or if anybody, if anybody out there can figure out how to build that, do it. I think yeah. companies would buy that for sure as a SaaS. Uh, yeah. Insights into even, who's who. Yeah. Yeah. I think even what you said, like you said, um, you've had different leaders at, at different companies forward along things. And I think mm -hmm. there's something key to that. But then I think the discussion around it, how I felt, what I would change, I think that's really key. The other thing that I think people can benefit from is you can use that as, as leverage to learn about different personas, right? So if yeah. you are, you know, you're, you're in a company and your main target is the marketing persona and you've never worked in marketing, you know nothing about it. 
-hmm. get close with your marketing team, ask them what they're getting. Like that's an opportunity to understand the people that you're talking to every single day and how to get through to them. Yeah, that's so good. That's so true. Wow. Oh man. Okay, cool. So, um, <laughs> no, I've got like, I have a bunch of ideas now. This is really, now I'm, <laughs> now I'm going to be like, especially aware of all of the outreach that I do. Uh, you know, in, in, in terms, yeah, in terms of my prospecting, I'm going to be very thoughtful about time of day channel who I'm reaching out to on the team. And I, you know, in the role that I'm in now, because I'm selling to the enterprise, I I'm pretty targeted in my outreach and it's very, it's, it's not as volume driven. It's more quality over quantity. I, I write mm -hmm. actually longer emails than I used to because they're more, they're more research oriented. But that said, there's a, there's still a world where volume is, is key. And I think like understanding what makes, what can make that yeah. process all better is, is really cool. And it sounds like you're down in the trenches with that. Yeah. I mean, it's always a balance. I feel like it changes where you are, what you're selling. There's just so many factors to it too. You're always towing the line there of volume and, you know, being more tailored and strategic. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask a really big question here on the air. I'm, and we're coming up somewhat oh, man. on time here, <laughs> but uh, we talked about this a little bit off air, which is uh, being a woman in SaaS sales. It's, it's a topic yeah. that I, I believe it or not think about a lot because some of my best mentors, some of my best colleagues and peers and, you know, people that have taught me a lot about the business were women. And then I was telling you this in the context of, I've had a really hard time finding women. There's been some great women guests that have come on the show, but mm -hmm. it's, it's been harder to get, you know, women to come on the podcast and, and, you know, essentially brag about themselves. Cause that's part of what this show is, is, <laughs> uh, you know, coming on and sh not bragging, but just, you know, sharing what works, sharing what they're, they're doing well, sharing their playbook for success. And I've had a hard time keeping, you know, consistently keeping women on the show or getting women to come on the show, I should say. Um, so I wanted to just, you know, pick your brain a little bit about it. I don't know that I have like an actual formulated question here. <laughs> um, more of just like a, tell us about, you know, how can we all work together to get more women into the industry? How can we help women be more successful in the industry? What things need to change in the industry? So I'm throwing like 20 questions out here just to kind of start <laughs> the conversation, break the ice. Um, but yeah. I would, you know, I'll start with just, in, and I'll end with just saying, I'd love to have more women on the show. I'd love to see more women on, on the teams that I'm on. I'd love to see more women in sales leadership. Uh, I still mm -hmm. feel like that's one of the biggest areas where, when I look back at the last few companies I've been at, I'm not seeing that as much, um, yeah. unfortunately. And I think it's a, it's a struggle. Um, it, it's definitely a struggle. So I just wanted to kind of generally get your thoughts on it again. That wasn't a very like direct question <laughs> more than it was just like a semi rant and uh, yeah. So any thoughts, I guess I'll pause there. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I think it's funny that you say that too, where you're trying to get more women to come on the show too. Cause I think even when you, talk to me about it. I was very excited, but there's also that element of hesitation. Like I'm not, I know I'm not going to say anything groundbreaking, right? Like there's nothing that I'm saying that hasn't been said before, but I think that, I mean, that also comes with the territory of just technology in the world we live in. And there's so many podcasts yeah. and books and ways you can learn. But on the other hand, like, I think it would also be hypocritical of me to say no, because like I said, I benefit from, I love learning yeah. from podcasts and books and LinkedIn. And I benefit from normal people like me sharing things that 
even if it's something I've heard before, I might've forgotten and it might be valuable and relevant to me at that point. Um, but it's interesting too, because I, I don't know the exact, uh, you know, research (laughs) behind this, but I, but I, I've heard a lot like women want to be a hundred percent or more ready for a job before they apply or a hundred percent ready for something before they do it. Um, versus men are willing to be a little bit less ready for that or feel like they're, you know, they don't have, you know, everything ready to, to do it. And I think even just for myself, I, I was kind of reflecting on that and being like, okay, did I have a little bit of that, that in me in that moment? But, um, I, I think in sales in general, I have been really fortunate to have a really, really good experience all around. Like not only I've worked with really great women in sales, like you said, great women, great mentors, leadership, um, women in leadership in sales. I've been really fortunate to experience that and see it. But on top of that, I think what's really Mm -hmm. stood out to me is I've been around some incredibly supportive men in leadership that have made sure women's voices are heard, have hired purposefully to make sure that there is representation across the board. But I I think the most that's ever stood out to me is when people call it out. Like even just you saying that when we were talking about this conversation that we're having and saying, this is something that I I want to raise and that's important. If you're comfortable, like I want to talk about that. That's I think bigger than you probably realize. And it's something Mm. that when I reflect on some of the most impactful conversations I've had with men in leadership positions in sales is when they're asking those questions and having open conversations about it and asking yeah. how they can highlight the women on our teams and, and do better. Um, I think sometimes, you know, people can shy away from those things. And that's always stood out to me when people have said, like, how can I support better? Or, hey, I noticed you were the you were the only woman on that call. Like we just had a call of, uh, you know, a bunch of leaders and there were mm-hmm. a bunch of men and you were the only one. Like for someone to call that out and say that and say like, hey, if you ever feel like you need someone to, you know, support you or kind of reiterate what you're saying, or if you feel uncomfortable speaking up in those situations, or we need more women on that call, like for people to start those mm-hmm. conversations and ask questions and just bring it up, I feel like makes a big difference to start. And again, I feel like I've had a very positive experience, but I, I feel like yeah. those things have always stood out to me. Amazing. So it sounds like we just need to normalize talking about it and asking about yeah. it and calling it out. That's it's, that's, that's an interesting, that's a whole other interesting animal too, because again, in different points in my career, I saw things that I probably should have said something. And, you know, here I am, I'm going to confess this all on the air. Um, (laughs) And I'll tell my wife about it later. And she's like, Oh, you should have said something. And I don't know why that hasn't been normalized in the culture. Like why, you know, and it's, it's not like, I'm, I'm probably making it sound more extreme. They're not like, it's not harassment or anything like that. It's more just yeah. Women being overlooked, women being talked about in a certain way that like isn't fair. It's not equal. And I'll, I'll give you an actual example. I was once in a panel job interview. Um, this is actually before I was at Medallia, by the way. Um, so this is many years ago now. And there was a male candidate and a female candidate being interviewed by a panel, which included, you know, the founder of the company, some other leaders and things like that. And the male candidate was asked a bunch of like questions about I'm trying to think of like, like specific questions that he was asked stuff like, 
you know, very practical stuff. Like how many calls do you make a day? What's your approach to prospect? Like stuff like that. And when the, the female sales candidate came in, they asked her things like, what scares you? It was really weird. Wow. And that was one of the first times I noticed it. This is a long time ago now, by the way, too. And I noticed it and I was like, that wow. was weird. They asked a totally different set of questions to her than they did to him. Why? Like they're interviewing for the same role and arguably she was more experienced than him. Like on paper, she was way more experienced. And I remember internalizing that and thinking that was freaking weird. Like, why did that that's happen? That's crazy. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's just like one example. Or like another is that I've heard, you know, sales execs, like, like leadership say things like, you know, they're going to throw a temper tantrum referring to a woman. And mm-hmm. I'm like, and men don't like, I've seen, I've seen male <laughs> AEs. I've seen like, it. <laughs> yeah. We've all seen it. Like it does happen. I, I mean, so That's how is that exclusive to gender? Right. So it, it's, it's yeah. very interesting. And, you know, we could, we could probably talk for like two hours about this and, you know, there's also so many other, um, you know, groups that, that could be more included in, in SaaS sales. And part of what I want to do with the podcast too, is just give a voice and, and shine a light on some of those people. Um, it's, you know, the podcast started as just how can we highlight the reps that are doing this every day? Because what I felt like was a lot of the podcasts out there were only highlighting the person who made it to the VP of sales role Mm -hmm. and, you know, only shining a light on the people that were in that specific, seed or role and had made it to that point in their career. And it didn't highlight the people that are doing the job every day. And now I think it's really important to shine a light on everyone else because, you know, even amongst AEs, there's still biases and things like that. And I want, you know, I want to be able to give everybody a seat at the table. I I think SaaS sales should be like a big tent thing. I think I've used that term a lot, like big tent where (laughs) everyone should be allowed to come inside, right? It shouldn't be exclusive. Um, so Anyway, I think hopefully just talking about this uh, helps someone out there listening to, you know, one, feel more confident in in what they're doing in their sales career. But also, um, yeah, I'd love to hear more perspectives from more women on the show, uh, because the way I think about things like podcasting, for example, because I, by the way, also had imposter syndrome when I started the show. I was thinking, there's nothing I'm going to teach the world that's not already been heard or said from some sales training or some YouTube channel or another podcast or another sales leader, or another blogger, et cetera, right? But I was talking to someone before I started the show and they said, yeah, but nobody else has been on your unique journey. So mm-hmm. nobody else can tell what you've seen and heard and done. Um, no one else has that. That's your unique story. And so I think, you know, hopefully this is a reminder out there to women that like you're unique and you have perspectives, uh, especially in business, because you can see a lot of things that your counterparts can't, and you should feel empowered to, to share that and be, you know, part of what's going on. And you should feel empowered to take credit for things too. That's, I know a big deal. Like, uh, and to your, to your point earlier, like, it's, it's easy. It's easier. I think it's easier, generally speaking for men to take credit for things, um, or, you know, jump into a role without being fully confident. They even know how to do it. Right. And yeah, that's, I think just something we need to keep airing out and, uh, and speaking about. Yeah, no, I, I love all that and totally agree. And I think, you know, again, like I said, the moments that stick with you are, when you have those moments with men in sales, men in leadership, like you even highlighting this in, in some of our conversations had me start thinking about, you know, what am I doing with uh, Women in Sales Month in October with my team? And 
um, yeah. started sparking some ideas there. So have to give you you credit for working on some of that and, and raising it. And again, like, again, those are the things that stick with you. And um, I, I appreciate you bringing that up and starting the conversation. And even though like I can say I've had a very positive experience, I don't think that's the norm. I think there are a lot of challenges and yeah. um, even just, even just getting into it, like, like we were talking about getting into tech initially, but getting into the workforce and getting into tech as a woman um, and in a sales role, you know, we're still seeing a huge difference in right. not only who's filling the, the B2B sales role, but who's filling leadership roles too. Yes. Um, so it's something that still needs a lot of work. Um, and I like having personal experience with it through my sister. She uh, is a primary caretaker, got back into the workforce a few years ago as a CSM, actually at Medallia. Um, oh, and nice. just seeing her experience with something that probably otherwise would have been really difficult to have to go back into the workforce, but having the opportunity to get into in a CSM role, but like still with more of like that account management flair and like having some of the, the sales role there and um, um, started out in an SDR role when she got back in. But I think it's something that would have been so different if it wasn't for the tech industry, for B2B sales and, and those opportunities that I think present um, so much opportunity for women returning to work too, like her after, you know, being a caretaker for a few years. And even outside of that, um, like I said, just the, the growth in sales roles and leadership roles and what we're seeing in terms of like, I mean, women are are closing more deals, hitting higher quota than, than men. Like there's some really great things that um, I think people are finally starting to recognize and Absolutely. Um, some of those leadership capabilities too, that yeah. um, I think it's a good going into October too. It's a good time to have some of these conversations, not only about the challenges, but some of the great things that we're seeing from women in sales. Yeah. I, like very generally speaking, of course, but, but from the, the women I've worked with in this profession, they're very organized. They're very strategic. Mm-hmm. They're very good communicators. They're empathetic, which is actually one of the most mm-hmm. underrated skills, especially yeah. in enterprise selling. I remember the first time I heard that, I was I was like, that's so true. Like, we're not yeah. often taught that empathy is really that important. But when you think about selling to a group of people uh, at the enterprise level, when you're selling to sometimes like eight or 10 people, depending on the deal cycle, right? There's there's a whole group of people that has to be involved in an evaluation of a big ticket sale in SaaS. And if you're not empathetic to each of those personas and roles, yeah, then you're not going to get the deal because odds are, if you're just kind of a thick-headed, you know, whatever, then someone's going to say this person doesn't get it. They're not trying to understand what our problems are. They're not trying to understand why we're stressed out, etc. And I think women are really good at the empathy piece, and mm-hmm. since that is really the key to everything in, in enterprise sales, especially. Um, in, in, in corporate sales or commercial sales, right? Any, any level, but especially at the enterprise when they're complex deals and there's a lot of people and personalities involved, it's better to lean into that empathy. And I think women are so good at that. So to the women out there listening, please come, come get in the field. If you're thinking about getting into SaaS sales, come get in. If you're already in, you know, let's go. <laughs> you're, you're probably <laughs> doing, you're probably doing amazing and hopefully it feels like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're going to keep talking about it on the show and follow Lauren. Cause she's, uh, you know, she's going to be posting about it and, and being involved in it. So 
with that, tell us just uh, as we kind of wrap up here, how can the listeners get in touch with you? Uh, and yeah, how can they get connected with you? Yeah, just good old LinkedIn for me. Um, connect with me. Uh, send me a note if you want to have any conversations based on some of the stuff we talked about today. If you're trying to get into the tech industry, especially, or if you already are and you're looking to get into enablement, I'd love to talk to anyone about that. Awesome. And then Whoop, how can we uh, walk us through what Whoop is and who might be interested in learning more about it? Yeah. So um, it's interesting because both as an individual from the consumer side, or um, if you're interested from um, the business side as well, it's got something for everybody. Um, Like I said earlier, product and what I am selling and being a part of as a company has always been really, really important to me. Um, I had a personal tie to Whoop before joining the company. Um, And it's uh, very, very high level, a wearable that monitors your sleep, strain and recovery. And um, again, from the consumer side, you can go and get a a strap for yourself. Um, But from the B2B side, we're working with healthcare companies, government, um, business and athletics. Um, So you can reach out on the Whoop website to buy a strap for yourself or on the Whoop Unite website if you're interested for your organization. Um, And it's it's really interesting. It's completely changed my life. I, if anybody knows me, they know I love wine, and yeah. it's changed my <laughs> my perspective on wine a little bit and what it does to oh, my body. So that's, no that's a lot. That's a yeah. That's a that's a huge change for me. So um, wow, if you okay, know me, you know that that carries a lot of weight. <laughs> You've piqued my curiosity, so I'm gonna have to go check that out for myself because I've been I've been very. I've been on a big health kick. I guess that's the short way to say it. Is, oh, good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about sleep and protein intake and all these other things. So now I'm definitely going to probably, well, maybe I'll rethink my relationship with wine also. <laughs> I I kind of recommend it, but it's it's, uh, it's a bittersweet goodbye, it, but we, we'll have a lot to talk about with all the, the food stuff too. Nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. 